Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. Christianity is the best thing ever. It's the most freeing thing ever. It's not restrictive as some people would like to label it. It's actually freeing. It's tremendously freeing. And reading through Leviticus and studying through Leviticus, I hope that just stirs up inside of us this, this heart of gratitude for Jesus and the fact that he's done it all. He's done it all. You don't have to do anything. You don't, all you just got to do is believe, receive, and live it out. Many people resist Jesus because they think that becoming a Christian is going to require giving up so many of the things that they enjoy. It's true. Following Jesus does mean letting go of a lot of what this world holds dear. But following Jesus brings freedom that can't be rivaled by anything that this world has to offer. As Pastor James will remind us in today's message, living in sin and doing whatever you please doesn't bring freedom. Sin becomes your master, but Jesus wants to rescue you from that oppression. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Leviticus chapter 15 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. Hey, let's just get into Leviticus. I'm going to summarize chapter 15 for you because nobody wants to hear me talking about bodily discharges. Unless you do, I don't know, maybe you're weird like that. Um, but I'm going to summarize that chapter for you to spare you the details, okay? Because then uh, 16 uh, and chapter 17 are actually pretty uh, significant concerning just the whole Bible itself, okay? So, Leviticus 15, you can turn there, you can scan through this, but let me break it down. There's three different, just kind of, I don't know what you would call these, um, rules, we'll say rules concerning, you know, if a guy's got a bodily discharge, he's unclean, okay? Now that's a medical thing, so don't, I don't know where your brain's going, but the first part of chapter 15 talks about this, and then it, the, it closes it out with, then if, if he gets, uh, verse 13 of chapter 15 says, when the man is healed... Uh, when the discharge is healed, he must count off seven days for the period of purification. Then he must wash his clothes, bathe himself in fresh water, and he will be ceremonially clean, right? So that, that verse right there sums up what has just happened in the first 13 verses, meaning he's had a bodily discharge. What does that mean? I have no idea. I don't even want to think about it, honestly. Um, something is coming out of his body. That's what I know. And it's making him unclean. And so he's got to deal with that. He needs to be healed. So there you go. That's the first, first 13 verses. The next is talking about, uh, let's see, uh, it goes into the ooh, chapter, verse 14. Uh, actually, it's, then it talks about women in your menstrual cycle, okay? So there's a rule for that. If you're going through your period, then there's a set time period when you have to, like, when that's finished, then you're ceremonially clean, Okay. That's all it is. That doesn't mean, here's the deal, that doesn't mean it's bad or gross. That's normal. It's normal. It's natural. Um, and, and, that's, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's just your body. That's how God designed it. So, but concerning worship within the temple and all that good stuff, there were, there were allowances concerning clean, cleanliness and then uncleanliness. It doesn't mean bad. 
The guy with the discharge that's a medical issue doesn't mean he's gross or bad. It just means he's got something going on that's preventing him from being able to go to the tabernacle. It's not bad, okay? It's just what it is, right? For the ladies going through their menstrual cycle, it's not bad. It's just what it is, okay? So I want to kind of just throw that out there of like to, to remove some of that stuff where we, we think like, oh, God doesn't like this. He doesn't, it has nothing to do with it at all, okay? Nothing at all, okay? There's one thing though, before we get out of this uncomfortable chapter. Um, look, there's a lot of commentaries that I own. They don't even commentate on this chapter at all. I'm like rip, flipping through there. I'm like, dude, you skipped 15. Like, how did you do that? Big, big name guys. Here's what I don't want to miss from chapter 15. Because you look at Leviticus 15, you might be thinking, nothing here. This is, just, this is gross or whatever. This is uncomfortable. But there's one little part in there that just is the coolest thing ever. Okay? Look at verse 25. If a woman has a flow of blood for many days that is unrelated to her menstrual period, or if the blood continues beyond a normal period, she is ceremonially unclean. As during her menstrual period, the woman will be unclean as long as the discharge continues. Any bed she lies on, any object she sits on, during that time will be unclean, just as during her normal menstrual period. If any of you touch these things, you will be ceremonially unclean. You must wash your clothes, bathe yourself in water, and you will remain unclean until the evening, right? So you see that, and you're just like, well, that's a bummer, because she has no, literally no control over that at all. You turn to the Gospels, and there was a lady who had a bleeding problem for 12 years. She was ceremonially unclean for 12 years years. And she pressed through a crowd. Jesus was walking through her town. And she, if she touched anybody, they were ceremonially unclean. So everybody avoided her like a leper. Nobody went near her. Even if she had a husband, he, if he was a good guy, he still had maintained contact with his wife. But you could understand how the law might dictate to him that you can't even touch your wife. But Jesus was walking through her town, and she pressed through the crowd, is what the, the, the language tells us, that she, she forced her way through the crowd just so she could touch the hem of his garment. Because she believed that if, even if she just touched his garment, her issue that none of the doctors could solve, she spent all her money going to the physicians and all that, and they couldn't solve her problem. If I could just touch the hem of his garments, he will make me well. He will make me clean ceremonially clean. And she did that. She touched the hem of his garment and he stopped and he says, who touched me? And his disciples, these nice guys, were like, what are you talking about? You're being pressed in from the crowd, meaning everybody is touching you. He's like, no, I felt power leave. Somebody touched me. And then she was right there. She said, I touched you. And here's my story. And she shared it. And, he, and she, that whole crowd got to see this lady who they probably knew for 12 years, had this issue, and Jesus healed her on the spot. This is this lady, Leviticus chapter 15. Like, this is where you get that from. So there's, there's these little jewels and gems all throughout the Old Testament, and we got to see this in action, so to speak, in the Gospels with this cool lady who's going to be in heaven one day, and I'm sure she'd love to share her story with you when you're there with her. But that's like, so reading through this, you're like, oh, oh, periods and oh, yeah, all this stuff. It's like, look, but here's the deal. Here's a real life story concerning a lady who had no control over it. Nobody could solve it for her, except for Jesus. Except for Jesus. It took 12 years. 
took 12 years, but he walked through the town on the right day exactly when he intended to. So that's kind of cool. Same little parallel story to that is the 12-year-old daughter of uh, Yerius, I believe, right? And that she had just died and Jesus brought her back to life. There's a correlation there between her being 12 years old and this lady having this bleeding issue for 12 years. But look at that. Jesus knows how to, he knows how to make us clean. Jesus can make us clean. So that's kind of cool, right? And then her being clean, cleansed by Jesus meant that she could go to church again. It's kind of nice. Then the rest of the chapter just deals with uh, more bodily fluids that make you unclean and, you know, uh, just you're, you're unclean until, go take a bath, wash your clothes, and then in the evening, you're good to go, right? So there you go. That's the summarization of chapter 15. You got body stuff, it happens, take a bath, clean yourself, you can go to church later that night. There you go, right? You're like, uh, this is awkward. Oh, well, we're out of that chapter. So verse 16, or chapter 16. This is the Day of Atonement. This, one's, um, this is a lengthy chapter, but uh, this is an important chapter. So verse 1 of chapter 16 says, The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of Aaron's two sons. Remember, they, presented, they offered up strange fire. The very first day the, the church service kicked off, they offered strange fire, and they died. Okay, So Aaron lost his two boys on day one. They, they died after they entered the Lord's presence and burning the wrong kind of fire before him. The Lord said to Moses, warn your brother, Aaron, not to enter the most holy place behind the inner curtain whenever he chooses. He's the high priest. Aaron is the high priest at this time, but he can't go into the Holy of Holies just whenever he wants to. Doesn't matter what his position is. Doesn't matter what, you know, the title is above his office or anything like that. In this, in this day and age, you cannot just enter the Holy of Holies, the innermost part of the tabernacle, whenever you wanted to. Okay, he says the, the inner, current, inner current whenever he chooses, if he does, he will die. <clears throat> For the ark's cover, the place of atonement is there. And I myself am present in the cloud above the atonement cover. So this is just God's little warning to Aaron. You can't just come in whenever you want. Okay, now that changes if you read the book of Hebrews. Actually, the book of Hebrews is a good parallel to the book of Leviticus because a lot of the, hey, don't do this and all this type of stuff and sacrifices is mirrored by the book of Hebrews, which says Jesus is better than anything else that has preceded him. The law, Moses, angels, Jesus fulfilled the law. Jesus was the greatest sacrifice. Jesus ripped that curtain that separated the Holy of Holies. That you and I would never be able to go in if the, you know, if the tabernacle was still in place. And none of us in this room has a chance of going into there because none of us are going to be high priests, right? But Jesus his death on the cross tore that curtain, which meant we all, being covered by his blood, have access into the Holy of Holies whenever you want. Okay? Total difference there. But the law had to be fulfilled, and it was in Jesus. Verse 3, says, when Aaron enters the sanctuary area, he must follow these instructions fully. He must bring a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He must put on his linen tunic and linen undergarments worn next to his body. Then he must tie a linen sash around his waist, put the linen turban on his head. These are the sacred garments, so he must bathe himself in water before he puts them on. Aaron must take from the community of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. So, so just so you understand this, Aaron has to, really he has to take on the form of a servant, okay? Because his his 
garments that he would normally wear as a high priest were not like this at all. They're very elaborate, right? He's got this tunic that has like this crown thing on it, and he's got the ephod with the 12 stones on his chest. Very like ornate, nice high priest garment. He's got to take that off, and he has to put on, well, the, the outfit or the, you know, kind of the clothing of a servant if he's going to enter into the Holy of Holies, which is kind of cool, right? So there's a lot of parallels even with Jesus, okay? So he has to go in by himself, and he has to take the form of a servant, but even before he goes into the Holy of Holies, he must sanctify himself. He must set himself apart, and we know from the Gospel of John chapter 17, Jesus lets us know through that, per- that prayer that he prayed that he had sanctified himself. He's our high priest, right? So Aaron had to like cleanse himself before he put on these sacred garments and before he could go into the presence of God, right? Pretty elaborate, pretty complicated. You can think, Jesus, that you don't live during these times and that you live today where you don't have to do any of this stuff. You can come in just as you are, and you didn't have to bring your pet goat or lamb or ram or whatever, and I don't have to butcher those things for your sins, which I'm really grateful for because I don't like doing that stuff. Um, So praise God for that. But this is what they had to do. Verse 6, it says, Aaron will present his own bull as a sin offering to purify himself and his family, making them right with the Lord. Then he must take two male goats and present them to the Lord at the entrance of the tabernacle. The entrance of the tabernacle is key to this whole chapter. Okay, it's the location there. He is to cast sacred lots to determine which goat will be reserved as an offering to the Lord and which will carry the sins of the people to the wilderness of Azazel. Azazel, that's how you'd say that. Um, So you got two goats and one is really, they're both hoping and praying like, I hope it's, I hope it's you. Um, And I hope I'm the scapegoat, right? Like, so you got two goats. One's got to be the sacrifice. One has to be the scapegoat. And this is where you get that phrase from. If you've ever heard scapegoat before, it's Leviticus chapter 16. That's where it originated. Scapegoat simply means to remove, to remove, okay? So you got two goats that come in. They got to figure out which one's going to be sacrificed and which one will be released to the wilderness. And that is a good picture of, uh, I think it's, it's Psalm 103 verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so, so he has removed our sins from us. Um, so that's, that's kind of where you get this image from. One goat stays to be sacrificed, and the other one runs away to the wilderness, and he's gone. He's gone. That's your sin. It's gone. Okay? So covered by the, by the blood of Jesus, that, that, those sins are gone. Verse 9, Aaron will then present a sin offering uh, as a sin offering, the goat chosen uh, by Lot for the Lord. The other goat, the scapegoat chosen by Lot will be sent away. Lot is kind of like dice, okay? If you don't know what that means, they just rolled these things and it's like, you know, the one, one got seven and the other one got snake eyes, right? And he's like, oh no. Um, so this, the scapegoat, he wins and he gets to run away. But they cast the lots to figure that out. The other scapegoat chosen by lots will be sent away, will be kept alive standing before the Lord. When it is sent away to uh, Azazel in the wilderness, the people will be purified and made right with the Lord. Okay? This is the day of atonement. These are the sins that are being forgiven that they may have missed throughout the year. This is a good thing. This is like, this is like the highest holiday for the Jews. Okay? This, uh, this day of atonement. 
This is a big, big deal. If you missed any sense, because can you imagine, like in a sacrificial system, you're having to go to the, to the door of the tabernacle, and if you've got a family, man, you've got to represent your family. And so you get a sacrifice for something, maybe kind of, you think of like Job. Job was making sacrifices daily for what? For himself and for his kids, in case his kids had sinned against God. Same kind of scenario here. If we were living during these times, you, I mean, you're having to go to the, the door of the tabernacle quite often, if we're honest, um, to make sacrifices for sins all the time. This would be a, a tremendous, this would be exhausting. It'd be absolutely exhausting. And then you're trying to think of like, okay, did, did I cover them all? Did I get them all? And just having to live with that doubt and that fear constantly. Like, what if I die and I didn't, I didn't make a sacrifice for, for that sin? Or there was a sin that I was committing that I just didn't know about and I never offered. I mean, that's just like prison. That's, that's prison. Unfortunately, that's where a lot of our friends in other religions live in. This like good works kind of religion where it's like, I, I hope I do enough good deeds to cover my bad deeds. Well, what if you're not? And then they die. I mean, they're just constantly living in this fear. And then Jesus steps in and says, you don't have to worry about that. Because he died once and for all. Cover past, present, and future sins. That's, Christianity is the best thing ever. It's the most freeing thing ever. It's not restrictive, as some people would like to label it. It's actually freeing. It's tremendously freeing. And reading through Leviticus and studying through Leviticus, I hope that just stirs up inside of us this, this heart of gratitude for Jesus and the fact that he's done it all. He's done it all. You don't have to do anything. You don't, all you just got to do is believe, receive, and live it out. So we have Aaron. This is still his high priestly duty to uh, present these sacrifices Verse 11, Aaron will present his own bull, you know, for him, for his family, to make them right with the Lord. After he slaughtered the bull as a sin offering, he will fill an incense burner with burning coals from the altar that stands before the Lord. Then he will take two handfuls of fragrant powder incense carry, and will carry the burner and the incense behind the inner curtain. There in the Lord's presence, he will put the incense on the burning coals that uh, so that a cloud of incense will rise over the ark, uh, ark's cover, the place of atonement, that rests on the ark of the covenant. If he follows these instructions, he will not die. <laughs> That's nice. Nice little, you know, addition in there. Like, oh yeah, Aaron, if you do this exactly right, you got nothing to worry about. Well, what if I mess up one step? Well, it's not good. That's why we're going to tie this rope to your leg so that if the bells on your robe stop jingling or whatever, then we just pull you right on out because nobody can go in and get you, right? So just that would be incredibly stressful. So he, he's got to follow these things exactly as the Lord has laid them out. So if he does that right, he will not die. Let me find my place again. There we go. Then he must take some of the blood of the bull and dip his finger in it, sprinkle it on the east side of the atonement cover, and he must sprinkle the blood seven times with his finger in front of the atonement cover. Then, verse 15, Aaron must slaughter the first goat as a sin offering for the people and carry its blood behind the inner curtain. So he kind of is in the inner curtain. He's out of the inner curtain. He's in the inner curtain. He's out of the inner curtain. And then he's back in the inner curtain. So three times he goes into the inner, uh, the Holy of Holies, 
okay? Now he's going with the blood of the, of the goat as a representation of, you know, the covering for the, the sins of the people. So he goes back in there. Through this process, he will purify the most holy place. He will do this... Uh, he will do the same for the entire tabernacle because of the defiling sin and rebellion of the Israelites. And no one else is allowed inside the tabernacle when Aaron enters it for the purification ceremony in the most holy place. No one may enter until he comes out again after purifying himself, his family, and all the congregation of Israel, making them right with the Lord. So that's Aaron's job as a high priest. And on this day, the Day of Atonement, big, big, high uh, holiday for the nation of Israel, this is a big thing for Aaron to do. And any high priest that would come after him, but it has to be all laid out so he does this exactly right. Exactly right. And the people are relying on Aaron too to get it right because they're like, dude, if, if we miss the sin, we need you to, on this day, to make sure that those things are covered. <laughs> right? So they're, they're relying on Aaron to get it right as well, all right? Tons of pressure uh, for, for the high priest. So he goes on, verse 18, Aaron will come out to purify the altar that stands before the Lord. He will do this by taking some of the blood of the bull and the goat, putting on each of the horns of the altar. Then he must sprinkle the blood with his finger seven times, number of completion, over the altar. In this way, he will cleanse it from Israel's defilement and make it holy, when Aaron has finished purifying the most highly place, the tabernacle and the altar, he must present the live goat, the scapegoat. He will lay both of his hands on the goat's head, confess over it all the wickedness, rebellion, and sins of the people of Israel. And let me just tell you, that list is going to be extensive later on, right? So like year one is like, yeah, we had some rebellion and all that good stuff. So I mean, I can't even imagine what this, once they get, they leave Sinai, because they're still at the, mount, the base of Mount Sinai. They haven't even, I mean, they just started the journey. There's a lot of grumbling and complaining that's going to be happening. There's a lot of rebellious acts that are going to be going on. And I would just imagine that this, this little bullet list, this little checklist for, uh, for Aaron is just going to get, it's going to turn from like one little sticky note to like pages, I'm sure, where he's like, oh, oy vey, right? Like, I, I got to read all this stuff. And he's got to keep both hands on the goat, you know? And the poor goat's like, can I sit down? Can I rest? Because this is getting longer and longer. But praise God, there's a scapegoat. He says, in this way, he will transfer the people's sin to the head of the goat. Then a man, uh, then a man Specially chosen for the task will drive the goat into the wilderness. As the goat goes into the wilderness, it will carry all the people's sins upon itself to a desolate land. And that's where you get that reference to Psalm 103, verse 12, which is one you should write down or highlight or underline within your Bibles. 103, verse 12, as far as the east is from the west. When you're, when you're feeling like guilty and, and not just not convicted, convicted is a good thing. If you're feeling convicted, that's the Holy Spirit. That's good. You want conviction. If you don't have conviction, that's bad, right? That's really bad. What you don't want is condemnation. If you're feeling condemnation, which comes from the enemy, always, um, read the book of uh, Romans, specifically chapter 8. When condemnation comes, that's when you need to go back to Psalm 103, verse 12. And you need to remind yourself as far as the east is from the west, meaning they'll never meet again. 
you and your sin will never meet again. Pastor James Grizzle has been making his way through the book of Leviticus here on Bread for the Broken. Leviticus can be a tough book to get through with all of its rules and regulations, and sometimes it can be hard to see why we should learn any of that at all today. But every book in the Old Testament points to the person of Jesus. Several of the chapters in Leviticus deal with people who have sinned unintentionally and then later come to realize their sin. God lays out for them the steps to take in order to receive forgiveness. Now, the people of Israel brought sacrifices to the priests to pay for those sins. But we have a great high priest in Jesus who offered himself as a sacrifice. Leviticus 6-7 says, And the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord, and he shall be forgiven. How amazing is it that we have this great high priest who has atoned for all of our sins? The mission of Bread for the Broken is to help people find hope and new life in Jesus. If you'd like to join us in that mission, we have an opportunity for you to donate and to help us spread the word. Head on over to breadforthebroken.com to join us in the mission today. Once again, that's breadforthebroken.com. While you're there, you can explore all of the other messages and share them with your friends. And if you're in the Galveston, Texas area, we'd love to see you in a service at Calvary Galveston. We're here Sundays at 10 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. But if you can't make it, we stream all of our services on Facebook. Well, we're out of time for today. We'll see you again next time here on Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you, man.